going down. <laughs> All right. God's word. Psalm 51. To the choir master. A psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done that which is evil in your sight. So that you are justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth, in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise, for you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. And Pastor Dan will lead us in prayer. This is response to Psalm 51. Pray with me. Father, it is not well with our souls. We come before you grieved and broken by the conviction of sin. Father, we feel the weight of conviction pressing down on us, and we agree with the psalmist that it feels like our bones are being crushed. Lord, we feel far from you and desire to return to the joy of being in your presence. Against you and you only have we sinned, rejecting you as our God and King. Father, forgive us for our wayward hearts, for turning to false loves and for seeking life apart from you, Father, forgive us for not loving others as you have loved us first. Forgive us for not for violating your commandments, Lord. Lord, forgive us for our pride and self-righteousness. Forgive us for not loving, for not loving you 
with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind and strength. Through the blood of Christ and his shed blood for us, God, we ask for forgiveness. Thank you that because of faith in Christ, that you look at us and see his blood covering our sin. It is in its place that you see Christ's righteousness and holy life. And Lord, you credit it to our account. Because of Christ, we are united in his spirit. And he is at work in us. Holy Spirit, help us to turn from our sin. Help us to love you with all our hearts. And we pray as the psalmist prayed, Lord, create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us and make, make us new, Father. Lord, conform us into the image of your Son. Because of your righteousness and grace, Father, we pray as David wrote, may our tongue sing out loud of your righteousness. O oh Lord, open our lips and our mouths will declare your praise. Lord, may your grace and mercy compel us to sing of your praises and to testify of your grace to others in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Catechism question today is 37 out of 52. And the question today that we're reflecting on is, how does the Holy Spirit help us? And I think we've experienced that even today. The answer is, let's read it together. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin, comforts us, guides us, gives us spiritual gifts and the desire to obey God. And he enables us to pray and to understand God's word. And the short answer, let's read this together as well. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, and he enables us to pray and to understand God's word. And the scripture, supporting scripture is Ephesians 6, 17 to 18, and it reads, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit 
with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. This one's hard to sing sitting down, so let's stand and sing it together, lifted under the throne of grace. When peace like a river attends with my way, when sorrows like sea billows fall, my tender bright lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. It is well. 
Father, there's such turmoil in this world, and we lift up the Sukos and all the people of the Ukraine, but let us not forget the line, we must love our neighbors, or I mean our enemies. Lord, please reach down and change the hearts of the people who are causing this atrocity, Lord. We love you so much, and we know everything is in your control, no matter what it is, Lord. Please hold us close to you, all of us. Please lead us in our prayers, in our thoughts, and in our actions. Help us to love our enemy, Lord. We can hate the sin, but we love the enemy. Help us, Lord, to gather those near us who need you, Lord. Help us to lead them to you. Give us the words to say. Give us the actions we need, Lord. Please fill the scales off our eyes and unplug our ears as we Listen to the sermon, Lord, and let us take it from here and apply it to our lives, our everyday lives, Lord. We love you so much, Lord. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.
Oh, good. Just tell me. Now can you hear me better? Turn in your Bibles to John 16, 13 to 15. We're not going to read it right now because this sermon's a little different than sermons I've preached in the last several weeks. Um, normally I take a passage and work through that passage. This week I have so many passages to share with you, but this one will be referred to multiple times um, as we move through the message this morning. John 16, 13 through 15. You know, one weird thing about microphones on your ears like this, it makes your glasses skewed from what you need them to be to be able to see well. <laughs> I feel a little handicapped. Anyway. So if you see me doing this kind of thing, that's why. I can't, with my astigmatism, even see my own notes very well. All right. Today is the last in a three-part series in which we're talking about the Holy Spirit. Um, it is certainly not the last time we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, but it is the last time in this series. The next week, of course, is our family Sunday, and at that Sunday we review the previous three. Uh, messages uh, from the catechism, and we will be reviewing um, those on that Sunday. After that, we're going to start a series on prayer, and uh, that should be both challenging to all of us and an incredible blessing as we think through um, what prayer is, how to pray effectively, and how to use the truths that we've learned in these past three weeks regarding the Holy Spirit as we pray. As we begin today, I, I want to um, review a little bit of what Tom preached a couple of weeks ago, what Peter preached last week. I certainly will not try to repeat their messages. Um, you wouldn't stay here that long. Um, but I do want to hit some of the highlights that they uh, brought up. Tom covered the first point. And that is, where does faith come from? The Holy Spirit was the conclusion, the source of all spiritual gifts, including the gift of faith, comes from the Holy Spirit. And he took that from Romans 10, 17, as well as a bunch of others. But faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So, so faith comes by hearing, and hearing through the word of God. Yes, I did repeat myself for a purpose. But to hear something, there has to be a sound, a voice. And so, who in this case is the speaker? Well, the speaker is the Holy Spirit. Go to John 15, 26. But when the Helper comes, and I love the way Christ refers to the Holy Spirit as the Helper. He's the only one that uses those terms. And he uses it multiple times in John 14, 15, and 16. It's a beautiful descriptor of the work of the Holy Spirit, which is what we're going to be talking about today. But 15, 16 says, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness to me. It is his voice that bears witness to us and grants us that gift. The Holy Spirit speaks the word of God, and when we hear his speech, faith comes at his bidding. 
There is a, a message that I, I'd like to refer you to. It's not mine. This is one by John Piper. It's a message called How to Seek the Holy Spirit. And I highly recommend this message to you. Just Google it. How to Seek the Holy Spirit. But in that message, he makes a couple of points that I think are very important for us to remember as we think about where does faith come from and what is faith. He says, God has established a life-giving connection between the Spirit and his Word. John 6, 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. And then there are two additional passages that he uses, Ephesians 5, 18 to 19, and Colossians 3, 16. Now, I, you'll notice they're not up on the board. Um, that's because I can't work that way. Um, so what I promise to do is I will send all these references out tomorrow on Faith Life. So if you can't get to all of them this morning, I promise you I will post all of the references tomorrow morning. Um, but the two verses are Ephesians 5, 18 to 19. Be filled with the Spirit. Now listen to the similarities in these verses, okay? Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Now listen to Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Piper says that the command to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly stands in the place of the command, be filled with the Spirit. Because the indwelling of the word is the way we experience the indwelling spirit. Let me read that one more time. The command to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly stands in the place of the command to be filled with the spirit. Nearly the identical words in both these verses that Paul has written, and yet bringing two different emphases to it. Because the indwelling of the word is the very way that we experience the indwelling spirit. If you want to be full of the spirit, pursue the fullness of the word. It's that simple. The spirit speaks what Christ has said. The word of Christ. I want you to remember that phrase because I'm going to really be pressing it hard as we move through this message. The word, the Spirit speaks what Christ has said. The word of Christ. So then Peter preached, what do we believe about the Holy Spirit? Well, he taught us that the Holy Spirit is God. He's not a subset. He's not subordinate. He's not created. But he is co-eternal, co-existent, always existing just like the Father and the Son. Yet he is also distinct from the Father and the Son. And I really can't do justice to his message, so what I would suggest that you do is that you go back to the post on Faith Life of that message and review it again. Because Peter did what I've never been able to quite do well, and that is he brought the doctrine of the Trinity into a framework that was usable. And so I really, really encourage you to go back and listen to that. I will warn you, though, 
Um, apparently, we turned the microphones on way too early, and so you're going to hear you're going to hear mic checks and worship practice, and so you might want to just kind of speed up through that. Um, that's not going to do y'all that good unless you want a good laugh. Um, it is entertaining, but it's not essential truth. The other things that Peter taught us was that God, through Christ, has granted us, given us the Holy Spirit to be in us as opposed to upon us, as in the Old Testament. He he drew a clear distinction and a timeline for us. And I like to think of it this way. It's it's B.C., before Christ, and it's A.P., at Pentecost. That's the time frame, not this A.D. stuff, after death, after death. No, it's after the resurrection. It's after Pentecost that the world changes. The crucifixion laid the foundation, gave the opportunity for the change that had to take place. And so we have AP at Pentecost. The Spirit came in and not just on us and not like in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, the Spirit came on individuals for a specific purpose at a specific time. In the New Testament, the Spirit is given to us, in us, and to every believer for all time. Amen. And then the other point that Peter pressed forward that I think is important for us to remember, it's that same kind of point we made when we were talking about justification. It's done. It doesn't get done again. It's done once and for all. We are justified in Christ. And so the point of the Spirit is is that the Spirit is irrevocable. God will not take his Holy Spirit from us. I only got a few amens at that. Sometimes I wonder, am I speaking in a foreign tongue? (laughs) You see, the Holy Spirit is a seal and a guarantee. And the picture there is of a scroll. And the scroll is the new covenant in the blood of Christ. And so the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of that covenant and has sealed that covenant with his very self in the blood of Christ. It is irrevocable. Amen. Today I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit as helper, as Christ describes him. And then at the end, I have some cautions that I want us to consider. Um, I'm going to be running through a bunch of passages. Excuse me, I have a dry mouth today for some reason. I'm going to run through several key passages or truths because time simply won't let me do uh, a really thorough job of any of these, but they are all so important that we get a hold on as we think about the Holy Spirit as our helper. And again, I promise I will post these all tomorrow um, on our Faith Life site. So how does the Holy Spirit help us? Well, first, I, I tried to ra- arrange all of these in order of importance. And I probably made multiple (laughs) rearrangements of these. Could never quite land on the right one. 
and the reason is is because it's kind of like saying um, God is more important than God. Um, it just doesn't work. So these may not be in an order that you would have chosen, but they are the order I finally landed on because I had to land somewhere. And where I start is way back in the year 537 B.C. It's a long time ago, 537 B.C., before Christ. And it is the prophecy of Ezekiel, and I think this is so magnificent that this truth is here so many years before the birth of Christ. Listen to Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I know of no other place in the Old Testament where that phrase is used. I will put a new spirit within you. That's the AP, after Pentecost time frame, or at Pentecost. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put, as though we didn't catch it the first time, I will put my spirit within you and cause you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. That's Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. The spirit within us causes us to obey. I don't know about you, but that really is a empowering truth for me. Because when I look at my own strength, and, well, actually, I should say, when I look at my own weakness, I don't see any strength. I see a lot of questioning, and I see a lot of failing, and I see a lot of falling. But what I need to look at, what I need to remember, is that the spirit within me causes me to obey. That is a powerful truth, and it comes 537 years before Christ. The next thing I want you to see is that Christ comes because of the Spirit. Without the work of the Spirit, Christ does not come. Now you may be thinking I'm out of my mind, but Matthew 1.18. Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. No Holy Spirit, no Christ. What an amazing help. What do we have to lean on if we do not have Christ? It is his blood, his sacrifice, his resurrection that gives us hope and peace, and life. And then, also, I just said in life, but the Spirit helps us by giving us life. John 6, 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The word that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. Now, I want you to notice again the link 
between the Spirit's life-giving work and the words of Christ. Remember that, because again, I'm going to refer to it in a few minutes. And then the Spirit helps us by guiding us into all truth. We cannot know truth apart from the Spirit's guiding us. We can't find it. We're like people wandering without a map or Google Maps. It's like trying to find your way without a compass. The Spirit guides us into all truth. John 16, 12 to 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And all that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. John 14, 16 to 17. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Again, another reference to Pentecost. So he guides us into all truth. And then the Spirit not only guides us into all truth, but when we are on that path, he teaches it to us so that we have an ability to understand it. And he reminds us of every word of Christ. I know most of us who are believers have experienced at some point in our life when the word of God comes to our mind at a point of need, in a moment of temptation, in an hour of despair, in a time of sorrow, the Spirit brings to our mind, reminds us of the word of Christ. John 14, 6, 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I'm not making this stuff up, in case you wonder. And then the Spirit helps us by arming us for battle. Ephesians 6, 12 says, We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the authorities, the powers, the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That's the battleground. And then Paul goes on to tell us, and to the battle, the spirit brings the sword. And what is that sword? The word of God. Do you see this constant link back and forth? The spirit and the word, the word and the spirit. The spirit does not speak except the word of God. But I want you to look at one other thing in Ephesians 6.17, and it says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And then it goes on from there. But there's an operative word there. Did you catch it? Take. The Spirit brings the sword, but it is our responsibility to utilize that armor because we're told in the first part of that passage, put on 
the full armor of God. That's not the armor will be put on you. That is put it on. It's your responsibility, my responsibility to put on that armor, just like it is our responsibility to take up that sword, the word of God, by which we can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. We have the armor we need. We need to simply take it up. And then the Spirit helps us by teaching us to glorify Christ. That's not something that comes naturally to us. What comes naturally to us is glorifying ourselves, looking for ways to make ourselves look good, bigger, better than we are. In fact, we like to fake it. People say, how are you doing? We say, great. Liars. <laughs> That's not always the truth. Sometimes we want to make ourselves look better or we don't want to be vulnerable to others. And the Spirit helps us, however, to bring glory to Christ. And how do we do that? By admitting our need of Christ. By offering ourselves to Christ. By bringing him glory. John 16, 14 through 15, talking again of the helper, the spirit. He will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Do you see how he does that? The spirit takes what belongs to Christ. And if you don't remember, Christ made it very clear. The spirit will take what belongs to the father and declare it to you. And then he says, and by the way, Everything the Father has is mine. You want to make it clear, there's no ownership differentiation there. Everything the Father has belongs to Christ, and everything that belongs to Christ belongs to the Spirit. And it is that empowering that enables us then to glorify God. All that the Father has is mine, therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So he glorifies Christ by declaring the word of Christ to us so that we then might declare the glory of Christ to others. And then, as we saw at uh, the end of January, we were talking about sanctification um, and that transforming work of the Spirit, and that's one of the ways the Spirit helps us. We're not on our own in this process. Praise God, amen, hallelujah. We are helped in this transformation by the Spirit of God. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 to 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. That is a continuous, always happening action. It starts at a point in time and it continues into the same image. We are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Did you catch what Paul said there? Three times he makes it clear. The Lord is the Spirit. The Lord is the Spirit. The Lord 
is the Spirit. And it is He who transforms us. Not all at once. Wouldn't it be great? It would be a whole lot less painful. But I think our gratitude would be far less. And I don't think we would understand the depth of the mercy and grace and forgiveness of Christ if the transformation happened all at once. This is for our good and his glory that we are transformed from one glory to another. And I love the reference there, unveiled face. You know that comes from the Old Testament, right? The story of Moses going up on the mountain, coming down, having to cover his face because his, the glory that was on his face was fading. The glory on our face does not fade. It only increases until that day dawns and we are in the presence of the Lord forever. Our faces can be unveiled. Not because they have all the glory they're going to have in them, but because the glory is increasing as we draw near to Christ and as we are transformed by him, for him, to him. Well, there are many more hows that I could... Uh, that's hows, H-O-W-S, that I could go over this morning. And these, I know, are just a few. And I've highlighted ones, I think, that probably have ministered to me most during my study this last week. Um, and these are quick and they're incomplete. And so I encourage you, study the word for yourself. And I want to acknowledge that we have, the, you have, any of you in this room, have the ability to do that, even if you don't know how. You know how I know you know how to do that, or how you can do that? I didn't say it right. Huh? That's right. You're filled with the Spirit. And the Spirit does what? He guides us into all truth, and he teaches us that truth. So there's not one of you that calls upon the name of the Lord that can't do this. Now I want you to know there's a tool that you can use in addition to the sword of the Spirit and the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. Um, and it's called Logos Bible Software. It's available to all of you. Any of you that are part of our Faith Life um, site who look at our postings you have access to one of the most powerful Bible study programs in all the world. I, I don't know of anything better. Um, there are lots of them out there, but Logos is like comprehensive beyond comprehensive. And you have access to that for free. And if you don't know how to use it, I'd love the opportunity to show you. Um, or if you don't have access to our Faith Life site, uh, which is kind of like our own Facebook page, um, just let me know and or call the office and let Gail know and we'll get you set up and we'll also give you the training if you want to know how to use that software um, to do a study. It can be as simple as or complex as you want. Okay, enough of the shameless plug. I'm now going to pivot. Thanks, Marie. <laughs>
I want to pivot in these last few minutes and go back to a couple of points that I've told you to remember. And this is the primary one. <clears throat> and I'm going to do this because I personally believe there is a great danger at work in our world today and specifically at work within the Church of Christ. And this danger is of such critical magnitude that we must get this right or we're going to continue down a road of apostasy. I know those are strong words, and I chose them carefully because I feel that strongly about what I'm about to say to you. Remember what I said to remember? <laughs> the Spirit speaks what Christ has said, the words of Christ. Let me lay it down a foundation for you. There are two phrases in the New Testament that are very disturbing phrases. Um, at least they are to me. And I do a lot of pondering over these. And I think you would do well, too, to think through these. Ephesians 4.30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, to grieve someone is to cause deep sorrow. And the second phrase that I think it, it demands that we pay attention to is 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. And to quench means simply to drown out the sound of, to refuse to listen. We do these in two different ways. In Ephesians, Paul's talking about the way we treat one another. The way we treat one another causes grief to the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine? Think about that the next time you want or feel the need to speak a harsh word. Not guided by the desire for that person to grow in Christ, but desired designed only to let your own emotions vent. When you fail to meet the needs of a brother or sister in Christ, go back to Ephesians and read what Paul says. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by the way we treat one another. There's lots of reasons that I can see why that would grieve the Holy Spirit. One is because it defames the name of Christ to the rest of the world. But the second, do not quench the Holy Spirit, is in the context of not listening to the Word of God. That's how we quench, douse, drowned out the Holy Spirit. We've seen this morning from John 14, 15, 16, and a bunch of other verses that I've shared with you that the Spirit speaks only when he hears what the only what he hears from the Father and the Son. He speaks according to the Word. He adds nothing new to it. He takes nothing away from it. He does not twitch it to match the cultural mores of our day, nor does he speak it in a way that's motivated by politics of any kind, politically correct or not politically correct. The Spirit speaks the Word of God and only 
the word of God that he hears from the mouth of God. He speaks nothing but the word. Now I want to take you back again to John 16, 13 through 15. This is the verse I told you to open to first. And I want to read it to you one more time because I think it bears repeating. It is an important passage. When the spirit of truth comes, notice the spirit and truth are identified. The spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said, he'll take what is mine and declare it to you. Today, there is a great confusion um, and great harm that is being done by a very popular doctrine. And it's basically summed up is this doctrine. Let your conscience be your guide. This doctrine equates the voice of the spirit with the inner voice of our own consciences. Now, I don't have time to cover this topic fully, but it is of such grave importance that I am compelled at least to give us reasons to question the reliability of our own consciences. And thereby, I pray, help us to avoid either grieving the spirit or quenching the spirit. So first, I need to define what is conscience. From a biblical perspective, I've kind of developed, if you will, a working definition of a conscience. So here it is. The conscience is a gift from God. It is given to every person, granting us an understanding of good and evil, right and wrong. However, because of the fall, this conscience has been corrupted and is untrustworthy. I want to read that to you again. A conscience is a gift from God, Romans 1, given to every person, granting us an understanding of good and evil, right and wrong. However, because of the fall, it has been corrupted and is unreliable. My key point is, because it has been corrupted, it is never, by itself, a good guide. Never. The human conscience should never be allowed, on its own, to dictate our behavior. Here are the reasons. It can be evil. In fact, since the fall, all men's consciences have been and continue to be evil and untrustworthy. And they are insufficient scales on which to measure whether something is good or evil. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things. Now, the Hebrew way of expressing conscience 
is to use the words heart or liver. You don't usually see liver because they usually translate it as heart. But it is that inner working of the being. All right? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. That's who can. Hebrews 10.22 Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That does not say you have a conscience that's been cleaned. It says that's the way we need to approach the Lord is with a clean conscience. And I'll touch on that again in a minute. <clears throat> Number two, it can conflict. And it's, as such, it's unreliable. It speaks out of both sides of its mouth. Listen to this passage from Romans 2.15. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their consciences also bear witness. And their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So your conscience can give you an okay to move ahead. It's really just an excuse. The conscience can also, however, help us. But we have to be careful on how we use it and that we don't mix it up with the Spirit of God within us. 1 Corinthians 4, 4, My conscience is clear. This is Paul. My conscience is clear. But that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. I can think that I am right on, only to discover when God examines me that I am right wrong. 1 Corinthians 8.2, the man who thinks he knows something does not yet know what he ought to know. And that says, does know anything. The conscience can also be seared. To, sear, to be seared, it means it believes lies are true. It believes lies are true. And that truth is a lie. 1 Timothy 4.2 Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. Not every person who speaks as though they are speaking the word of God is in fact speaking the word of God. That is why, people, we must be discerning about who we listen to. The thousands of internet pundits that you listen to on a weekly basis cannot simply be trusted because they have a thousand or a million followers. You must examine through the scriptures, like the Bereans, what they are saying. Because your own conscience is unreliable as a judge. Our consciences are also weak. And Paul describes this. Weak, in the way Paul's using it, means that our consciences are influenced to a great degree 
by family history, traditions, associations, our education, our cultural mores, our prejudices, or our politics. The conscience is weak because of those realities. He says in 1 Corinthians 8, 7, However, not all possess this knowledge, but some through former associations with idols, and any of those qualify that I listed, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscious being weak is defiled. Which brings me to the next point. Our consciences really can be defiled. And they are defiled in multiple ways. But Titus 1.15.6 To the pure, all things are pure. But to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Paul didn't really mince a whole lot of words. It wasn't Mr. Giddy two shoes for everybody. And then six, our consciences require painful and continuous cleansing. Acts 24, 16, Paul says, So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. So I want to propose to you there's a two-fold test. Are we listening to the Holy Spirit of God or to our own consciences? Here's the test. John 16, 13 through 15. Sound familiar? When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will speak, will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit always brings to remembrance the things of Christ and always communicates in accordance with God's word. He never conflicts with it or contradicts it. That's test number one. If what you're thinking or what you're doing contradicts the clear command of Christ or the word of God, you may be certain it is your own defiled conscience and not the spirit of God with which you speak. And the second is, that the Spirit of God always glorifies Christ. If what you're saying or doing or thinking brings glory to you or to anyone or any other thing, then it is not the Spirit of God speaking within you. A twofold test. The Word of God and the glory of Christ. Very simple to remember. Our consciences will naturally and easily and often twist or ignore the Word of God. And it will always offer us an excuse to do so. It will justify itself. 
and sometimes it justifies itself by using the word of God. Should that surprise us? Is not that exactly the way Satan tempted Christ? By using the very word of God out of context. Our consciences are unreliable. The greatest influence upon our consciences must be the word of God. Through the Holy Spirit's work within us. And we know it by those two tests. Colossians 3.16, let the word of God dwell in you richly. Is the word of God dwelling in you richly? Is it dwelling in me richly? In those moments when life is calmer, do you reach for your Bible in a cozy chair? Do you spend your morning time reading the word, just basking in the beauty, the wonder, and the awe? that the God of the universe has communicated his thoughts in this form for our good and his glory. Have you ever just cuddled up with a warm blanket in that nice soft chair and spent time just reading the word of God? If you haven't, let me encourage you. There is nothing more precious in all of the world than being in the presence of Christ with his spirit present in his word. He instructs and teaches us in the way that we should go. And then Christ said it, John 17, 17, when he's praying, he says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. The conscience must never be allowed to rise above scripture. Our conscience is not more authoritative than the scriptures. The word of God is over everyone, every thought, every word, even our own consciences. Therefore, if any of us believes that our consciences support our disobeying the clear teaching of the Bible, then our consciences are out of line and must be brought in subordination to the Spirit of God through the Word of God. May Christ give us all daily wisdom and grace to know the difference between the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking through and our seared, defiled, untrustworthy consciences speaking lies to us that we believe are true. That we might avoid grieving or quenching the Spirit. And when we do, because we will grieve and quench the Spirit. That when we do, the Spirit of Christ within us may give us, grant us repentance forgiveness, and restoration. Let's pray. Father, I stand in this place in front of these people confessing my own undue reliance upon my own seared at times, defiled at times, 
evil at times conscience. Lord God, give me the strength of your spirit to wash clean that conscience until it is renewed in your word and able with your spirit to discern rightly and to understand righteousness and justice. Lord God, I pray that for all of us here. I know the pressures of this world press in all around us and finding that moment, short or long, to bask in the wonder and the beauty and the awe of who you are through your word is hard at times to find. But I pray, Lord God, that you remove the lie from our minds that there is no time. And that we put aside those things that are unnecessary. And some of those things that we think are urgent and important, which really are not. And lay ourselves before you in a sacrificial offering. That our time be given to you. And your word be given our time. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray these things. Amen. And let's stand.
let's go and walk in the power of that spirit.